Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. Most currency across the world now is plastic-based, so it's still flexible, but it's slicker. So the reason that it's cotton or linen-based causes some problems. They tell us 90% of U.S. currency contains traces of cocaine. If you have a cocaine habit, don't be trying to sniff it during church. It also contains traces, traces of feces. So if you just try to sniff it, you may want to rethink that again. It also contains traces of food from probably 1926. And it also contains traces of dog spit. So when you pull out that money, that's what's on there. It contains traces of all that junk on it. It also has this word, or these words, in God we trust, which I think is very ironic because as our country, we don't normally trust in God as much as we do the currency those words are written on. That's why every time we need something in our country, we go to add more debt to it because we don't trust God as a provider. We actually trust the federal banking system as a provider and debt. We think money solves problems, not God. We look at our families. We think money solves problems, not God. Jesus never went around asking people for money because he knew money wasn't the solution. Money was usually the problem. He knew that the Spirit of God was the solution. And so the problem that Jesus was trying to hit was that even though this money contains in God we trust, even though it contains traces of cocaine and traces of feces and even dog saliva, it also contains something else. Every single dollar, every single currency contains a spirit or has a spirit upon it. It is either the spirit of God or what Jesus calls the spirit of mammon. In Luke chapter 16, this is how he said it. He said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. For one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Meaning if you're faithful with something small, he can trust you with something big. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Meaning, if God can't trust you with financial wealth, which is unrighteous and naive and doesn't mean anything to God, how can he trust you with the keys to the kingdom of heaven? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, meaning God's, who will give you that which is your own? For no servant can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to the words Jesus is using. He either love one or hate the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. That word devotion is a very spiritual, religious term. For he says, you cannot serve God and money, or you cannot serve God and Mammon is the word, and mammon is this term, and it's Aramaic, and it means wealth that's, that's unrighteous, but it also traces back to a god of Syria. 
And this God of Syria was the God over money that felt like it controlled all the currency, controlled wealth and economy. And what he's saying is you either serve mammon, which is the God of this world, or you'll serve me, but you can't serve both. Because that word mammon, when you trace it even further back, its root word means confidence. Meaning you'll either trust in mammon or you'll trust in me. And he breaks this down showing that there's a spirit. Money's not evil in and of itself. But any money that's not redeemed by God for God's purposes is contaminated by the spirit of mammon, which is the spirit of the world. And the spirit acts just like God, but its promises always fail. Meaning, God is a God of promises. You read scripture, God makes promises of peace. He makes promises of hope. He makes promises of joy. He makes promises of identity and security and eternity. God makes all these promises, but he keeps them. Mammon makes promises like, trust me, and I'll bring you fulfillment. Trust me, and I'll bring you hope or joy or safety or security. But it always fails. Mammon also talks. God's a God who speaks. Mammon speaks. Mammon says, Trust me, and I can give you security. Trust me, I can give you identity. Trust me, I can make you important. Trust me, I can give you value. Trust me, you don't believe me. When you start to give money to somebody else or at church, mammon starts speaking. And mammon will say, whoa, whoa, don't do that. Don't don't give, keep. Don't, don't, Don't sow, hold on to it. Mammon speaks very loudly because mammon is like this carrot that dangles in front of you. And the more you chase after mammon, the more tired you get. And every time you maybe get a little bite of that carrot, you lose your satisfaction. And you eat more. And it's this empty void that mammon promises while God promises fulfillment. We know that no matter how much you work and how much much money you make, almost every single billionaire will say they were more happy when they were poor. Think about that. Henry Ford said, I was much happier as a mechanic as I am an entrepreneur and a president of a corporation. And it's almost like the the words of the great prophet, Notorious B.I.G., who said, more money, more problems, is true. That an accumulation of money and wealth does not bring fulfillment. It actually brings anxiety, stress, worry, and fear. But an accumulation of God's wealth, meaning generosity and hope and joy and love and peace and relationships and all these things, actually does produce what God wants you to produce in your life, which is security, love, contentment, family, peace, joy. And so the spirit on your money is either one or the other. And mammon is talking to all of us. It says it this way. When you're under the influence of mammon, which means there's some of you in this room that mammon is the God you worship and you don't even realize it. This is what mammon promises. Mammon will say, if I, get, if I just get this job, if I just get this promotion, if I just get this raise, then my life will be so much better. Really? How many of you ever got a raise or promotion before? Raise your hand. The rest of y'all just been in the same job, cashier, Kroger for the last. Did it change your world? No. Or some of you may say, well, if, if you know what, if I could just get that dream home, then my family would be so much better and everything would be so much better. No. Or if I can just get the iPhone 11, then then my life will be so much better. No, as soon as you get the iPhone 11, the iPhone 12 comes out, then you're sad you don't have the iPhone 12. That's mammon. Mammon, everything's temporary. Everything's slippery. Everything's slimy. Mammon is what's caused division in families. Mammon promises peace and unity, but it brings division. 
That's why you see brothers who are on businesses together separate and don't talk to each other for years. Mammon speaks when you're in the influence of mammon, you'll be in churches. All this church does is care about money. Like I'll preach on tithing maybe once every two years, and it never fails. Somebody will say, all they do is care about money. No, you're under the spirit of mammon, and all you do is care about money. That's why you get sensitive, because the God of your life is being attacked as an idol right now. And so once it happens, then you back up. I don't care about money. I care about spiritual things. And Jesus said, there's a spirit on your money. And if you're not careful and you're under the curse, it affects every single area of your life. God cares about spiritual things. He cares about your heart. He cares about your kingdom. He cares about which direction you're going. And mammon always promises the opposite of what God has promised. Jesus talked about money more than any other topic in the scripture. But I didn't see anybody saying, Jesus, all you do is talk about money. Jesus, all you, all you no, no, he was talking about the heart and the idols that we face in this life in mammon more than any other God in, in our culture, especially in Florence, Alabama. We're not going to be deceived by Islam or, or voodoo like maybe in Haiti. We're not going to be deceived by Buddhism we're not going to be deceived by Wicca or New Age. The, the idol or the God we're going to be deceived by is mammon. And we're going to buy into the promise of false security. And we're going to lead our kids astray by making them think chasing after money and pleasure and things produces eternal peace, hope, and joy. When it actually produces the opposite. So if you would stand to your feet as we read Malachi chapter 3 together. This is how... The Bible responds to it. I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Thank goodness. Everyone else around you changes. Their point of view changes. Their words change. And God is saying, I do not change. And the reason he says this in his, in his book of Malachi. So Malachi is the last book written in the Old Testament. And the reason for that, as soon as this chapter ends, chapter 4 ends, it's like a mic drop, and there's no more prophets for 400 years until Jesus is born again. Literally, there's silence, and the reason for that, God is so frustrated with his people in the book of Malachi. The whole book is about, you've gone a different way. You've become like the world. Your priests are more like business people rather than priests. Your people don't worship me anymore. They worship their belongings. He's going through all these things, and he finally gets to the root of it, which is the money problem. He's basically saying, I've blessed you, and you begin to worship the blessing more than me, your God. And he's wanting them to say, I haven't changed. So if I haven't changed, maybe it's you. Maybe you're the ones that have changed. He says, for I'm the God, I do not change. He says, therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That is a pivotal scripture. That word return means to, to bring your loyalty back into alignment. It means to, to bring your heart back towards God. But it also is an Old Testament word for repentance. And what he's saying is, we think God should move first. We think, well, if God will do something for me, then I'll come back to God. Well, if God will bless me, then I'll give him something. He says, no, no, no. He says, you return to me, and I'll return to you. Meaning, you need to move in the right direction. Because God, I think God is wise enough. He's like, I've watched this happen a time or two before. And every time I move first, 
you don't move. He's saying, so if you want to receive everything I have for you, you move towards me and then I'll move towards you. But you say, how shall we return? And he says, well, man rob God. Everybody say rob God. Well, man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and your contributions. Meaning, they're, they're saying, well, God, how is this possible? Like, like, you're saying you don't change. You're saying return. What, what do we need to do? He says, you've been robbing me. He says, why should I bless you when you've been robbing me? And they say, well, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and your offerings. You've, you've lost sight that I'm your provider, not you. And you've robbed me. And, and I'll put it this way. You can't physically rob God. Like God, every bit of money you have is God's money. Everything this church has is God's money. None of it, you can't physically rob God. You can't put on a ski mask and rob him. But what you can rob him of is the honor he is due. You can rob him of the worship he is due. And when it comes to tithes and offerings, he's not worried about the money. He's worried about your loyalty. This is about a kingdom principle of loyalty. Is God your king? Is his kingdom your kingdom? Or are you your own king and have your own kingdom? That's what he's saying in this scripture. He says, therefore, you are cursed with a curse. For you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Blessing and cursing is this. A blessing is when you have supernatural power working for you. Touch your neighbor and say supernatural power. That's a blessing. But it's a curse when you have supernatural power working against you. The whole New Age, Wiccan curses, Harry Potter stuff, all the curses, they're trying to get supernatural power, even though it's evil power, to work against you. God is saying, listen, you have supernatural power working against you right now. And it's a spirit of mammon who's taking you in a wrong direction. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. That's not like tempting God. That's a test as in, see what happens when you're faithful to me and see how faithful I'll be to you. Put me test to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down to you a blessing until there is no more need. I don't know about you, but a no more need type blessing is a good blessing. When you say, you know what, hey, brother, can I help you with anything? I don't need anything. Hey, do you need a blessing? God has blessed me so much, I don't need any. He's done more than, for me than I could ever dream of. That's what God is talking. He's saying, I will pour out a blessing that you won't have any more need. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. Do you know how amazing it would be? You just walk through town and people are like, oh, he's blessed. Hey, she's blessed. He's blessed. She's, I mean, they'll call you blessed based on what God has done for you. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. That is an amazing promise to us, God's people. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are a king that does not change. The Father, though times change, seasons change, people change, we know that you are a solid rock to build our lives upon. And Father, right now we know that this spirit of mammon is running rampant in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, in our banks, in our checkbooks, in our kids, in our families. And Father, right now we pray that you help us to be a people that is blessed, 
a house of delight, that people can look at us and see that we are different. We don't seek after mammon, we seek after the true king. So Father, I pray you break the curse of mammon over every single family in this room. I pray you break the curse of mammon over every mind, every heart, every spirit, and let us see that, Father, when things are in your hands, they produce what you want to produce in our lives, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus tells us everything has a spirit on it, spirit of mammon or the spirit of God. You can only serve one or the other. And then in this scripture, Malachi, God is saying, listen, Israelites, my people, like you're struggling, like, like you're struggling badly. And this is what you're struggling at. Your heart is far away from me. And the symptom that your heart is far away from me is the fact that your money or my money is in your hands, and you're not trusting me as your provider. He's basically saying tithing is a way to break the curse of mammon and bring in the blessings of God in your life. That's what tithing is. And tithing is also a test to see where your heart lies. It's also a solution to break the curse and bring in a blessing. And it's also a reward for passing the test that God places before us. So number one, tithing is a test. And I know some of you in this room, you hear the word test, you get test anxiety. Pop quiz, vocabulary test. Like the one little boy took his grades home, well, RJ, a couple weeks ago. I, I've been trying to say, don't use any more RJ illustrations. He's getting older, like try to protect him. But he just gives me so much material, it's just crazy. I'm in Israel. Toy says, you need to deal with your son when you get home, which means she's blaming me for whatever he just did. So you need to deal with us. So what do you do? She's like, well, I was checking his eye now. So, you know, we don't do report cards anymore. It's all electronic. She says, I was going to check his eye now. He brought me his, his Chromebook and showed me his grades, and it was all A's. She said, well, let me see it. He said, whoa, 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 I can't let you see it. So he pulls it back. He says, I was just playing. Like, he took a screenshot of his last semester grades. So he says, okay, I'll pull it up for us. He pulls it up. Now this is all A's and one B's. He says, okay, here it is. She's like, let me see it. He said, no, 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 I'm just playing again. Like, I took another screenshot. And so she checks it, and it was all A's and a B and a C, which he's never had a C or B ever in his life. So he was trying to perpetrate by mess messing up the test by proving that he was better than he actually was. So when you take a test, anxiety creeps in because you're afraid what other people may think. There was this one little boy took his grades home to his parents, like, like Toya, and the dad was like, dude, like, what's up, man? Like, this grade is, like, really low. What happened? The little boy said, absence. He's like, absence? Like, you weren't there when they took the test? He said, no, I was there, but the boy who sits next to me wasn't there. That's what was wrong. <laughs> so, like, but this test you can't cheat on because it's a test of the heart. And what God is saying in Malachi, he's saying, listen, I don't change. He said, I've been so good to you. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you through the wilderness. I brought you to the promised land. I gave you a land. I made you a people. I've given provision to you. I've blessed you. I've protected you. I've taken care of you. But you've lost sight that I'm your provider. He's testing to see, is my heart submitted to his kingdom or am I trying to get God to submit his heart to my kingdom? Matthew 6, 21 says, Jesus is actually speaking, says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in this Malachi verse, what he's saying is, God's saying, here's the test. I'm testing you to see if you're loyal to me or not. And the easiest and quickest way for God to test that 
is to test us in the area of our finances. You say, why? Because we think that if we have something in our hands, it is ours. What that means is when you get paid, no matter if you get paid once a week, twice a week, monthly, whatever it may be, every time you get paid, it is a test from God to see whom you're going to worship and think for your income. It's a test to see whom you're going to worship and think with your income. Meaning, when you get paid, are you going to think yourself, go buy you a brand new pair of shoes? Swing by Starbucks, get you, fill up a, a Starbucks gift card? Are you going to think yourself? Are you going to think mammon? Or are you going to remember that the whole reason you have a job is because God woke you up with good health? He gave you a mind to work. He gave you seed to sow. He gave you a business to run. He gave you people to serve. He, gave, he, he provided for you. And when you tithe, it's a test to say, do you remember that it's God who brought you out from where you're from? Do you remember that God is your provider? Or have you fallen to the deception of mammon thinking that you're actually your own provider? That's the test. And, and our problem is we think if anything's ever in our hands, it's ours. I, I'm sorry to tell you this. I don't own anything anything. Anything in my bank account, it's not mine. It is God's. But he, he lets me steward it by holding on to it and using it wisely in the way he would want me to use it. My kids, even though I hold them and, I, and sometimes I squeeze them really tightly, they're not my kids. They're God's kids. I get to steward them. This church isn't my church. It's not the elder's church. It's God's church. I just get to steward it. See, the deception of mammon is we think if we get our hands on something, it's ours. As a matter of fact, it's all God's. And tithings where we say, God, I realize this, I remember, and I want to pass the test. See, the test is the test of first. There's a principle in scripture from beginning to end of this principle of first. And I think if you dig deep into it, the reason this principle is there is because God makes us first. When you think about the Israelites and us, out of all the people in the world, God chose the Israelites. He made them first in his eyes. Then when we get saved, he makes us first in his eyes, above people who are lost or broken or unsaved. He puts us first. So then he ties in this principle of first in his kingdom to make sure he's getting as much effort back as he's putting into it. The firstborn. Principle of the firstborn is the firstborn, the first baby out of the womb is a blessing and is given to the Lord as an offering. I'm a firstborn. It means I'm blessed. Toya is a secondborn. <laughs> Dylan is a fourth. It's a blessing. And God's saying, the first, I need you to give me the first so I can trust you with the second and third and fourth. It's also a principle of first fruits. First fruits is this, meaning whatever the harvest is, especially in agricultural uh, scenarios or cultures, if you've worked, you've sowed seed, you've weeded, you've plowed, you've dissed, you've, you've done all this work, you don't get paid until you harvest. And first fruits means when the harvest comes in, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to take it and enjoy it? Or are you going to give it to God first? Are you going to recognize God's the one that gave you sunshine, gave you rain, gave you good health to keep on working? Are you going to enjoy the blessings or are you going to return the blessings back to God? You know, as in Israel, it was about to be the first rain. Actually, it rained a little, a little bit the last day I was there. And they were kept talking, when first rain comes, when first rain comes, that's when we start doing olive harvest. 
So there's just olive trees all over Israel. And the way they harvest these olives is once the first rain, the latter rain of Israel happens in late fall, once it happens, they lay these blankets out underneath the olive trees and they come up and they start hitting the sides of these trees, like the, the, the trunks and the, and the wood, they start hitting it. As they hit it, all the olives that are ripe will fall onto the blanket. And I thought it was amazing that olives, which we get anointing oil from, it takes a beating, it takes a, a breaking in order for them to be harvested. And they'll take that first harvest and they take it all to the priest and the priests make anointing oil out of it to be used to anoint God's people via the Holy Spirit. In the same way, what do you do with your first fruits? And your first fruits are the very first thing you spend money on after you get paid is your first fruits. So for some of you, it's a lottery ticket. Some of you, it's Starbucks. For some of you, it's more Alabama gear, getting ready for playoffs. For some of you, well, it's not Tennessee stuff because it's all on sale right now. You don't have to worry about buying any of it. There's plenty of yard sales you can shop for UT stuff at. And you go through, whatever you spend money on first is your first fruits. What it means is whatever you spend money on first means that's the most important thing to you in your life. So what are you communicating to God when you say, God, I'm going to buy this, 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 and this. If I have anything left over, then I'll, I'll throw something your way. What you just communicated to God is you're not my provider, you're my slave. And I want you to keep serving me and I'll throw you a little cookie or two to keep you fed and keep you maybe serving me up. See, the 10% principle, tithe means this, it means a tenth. Literally means a tenth. Not just a tenth, it means the first tenth. So we take about tithes and offerings. Tithes means that first 10%, that is God's. And if you return it back, God takes care of the other 90 and keeps pouring back into your bucket. But tithe means the first 10 or first fruits of what God has given you. So for our family, literally on my budget, the first 10% of our income is tithe. It's not at the bottom of my budget, literally at the top of my sheet, it is tithes. Why? Because if I set it up there early, it determines how I look at everything else. It's literally tithe, it's, it's Haiti, uh, Haiti, Haiti sponsorship, it's show save a life, it's dream center, and there's a little bit of money there for miscellaneous giving purposes. Then it's my mortgage, then it's our, our car note, then it's food, 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 and then kids' sports. Like that's literally our budget. What it tells me mentally is that God is first in my finances. It also tells me that money is not even budgeted for anything else. So literally, my 90% is my income. And in doing so, I communicate to God where my priorities, not just to me, but for our house, lie. And I'm telling God, you are our provider. This is all yours. And I'm trusting you to take care of everything else. And in doing so, God blesses the other 90. And I know some of you say, well, you know, tithing is just the law. No, it's not the law. Tithing is a principle of the kingdom of God. It happened before the law was ever thought of. Literally, Abraham meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this high priest, mystical figure in Genesis. Like, no one really knows who he is. Many theologians actually believe it's Jesus pre-incarnate. What that means is Jesus has always existed. He's always been a spiritual being who's always existed. He took on bodily form when he became a baby through the birth by Mary. In Genesis, Melchizedek is the prince of Salem. Salem means 
peace. So Abraham encounters the prince of peace, who we know as Jesus, encounters him. He says, you've been so good to me just by meeting you. I want to give you a tenth of everything I have to let you know I trust you and I honor you. That's where tithing came into play. Then later on, Jacob does the same thing. He says, let me give you a tenth. So the principle is there to show honor and show loyalty to a kingdom. Then when Moses leads, leaves Egypt, then they make it part of the law where now it's mandatory. Now the law is over. Jesus still communicates to the Pharisees. He says, you tithe on dent and meal, meaning you literally go to the spice rack and tithe on your salt and your pepper and your Alabama white sauce for the glory of God. You tithe on that stuff. He said, you should do that. But you've neglected the other things as well. Meaning tithing is not an excuse to not live like a Christian. It should be a byproduct of living like a Christian. So that principle is anything that happens before the law and happens after the law is part of God's principles. And so that is what is happening in this scripture. And so my theory is this. I'm going to treat it like it's God's money and treat it like it's hot. What that means is, I was joking with the earlier service because I think this crowd's a little bit more rowdy. When I was growing up, I was not a saved person. So there's lots of things that somebody takes something that it's not theirs and they sell it to somebody else, we call that hot, meaning it was stolen. And if it's hot, if something's hot, you don't want to hold on to it too long because if you hold on to it too long, you're going to get burned. If you're holding on to God's money too long, it's like hot money. The longer you hold on to it, the more tempted you are to think it's yours. The longer you hold on to it, the more tempted you are to use it for your own benefit and keep it and actually do what Malachi 3 says, rob God from it because you start thinking it's your own money. That's why in our family, the first thing we pay, as soon as it comes in, we tithe to God saying, God, this is your money. Thank you. We bless you. We honor you. And we praise you for what you've given us and try to pass the test. Number two, tithing is a solution. So tithing is a test you take every time you get paid, and tithing is a solution. What's a solution for? It's a solution to make sure there's spiritual food in God's house. He says, you've robbed me the tithes and bring all your tithes in the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. What he's talking about, food, we went to the tabernacle prayer at Seek Night. Food in God's house, bread in God's house, is not, we, it's not the goldfish in kids' ministry. It's not a potluck dinner. Food is God's word. It's what we live off of. It's the manna from heaven that we live off of. And God is saying, I want spiritual food in my house. So that way I can send the spiritually hungry. I can send the spiritually thirsty. I can send the broken. I can send the needy into my house. They can be fed. They can be taken care of. They can be watered. They can be, everything be taken care of. God's saying, if my house is taken care of, you'll be taken care of. And so it's a solution to make sure that this house can be a place God can trust that when he sends the broken, his lost sons, his daughters, they can come in and find what they need. But it's also a solution for you to break the curse of mammon off of your money that's in your bank account, to break the curse of mammon off everything you own and redeem it for God's purposes. What that means is it's going to take it from one purpose and bring it to another purpose. Because until you get that off of there, it's still going to be devoured. Because mammon is a devouring God. And the way you redeem it from the devourer is you take it, 
You give God his 10% and then God washes and cleanses the other 90. He washes it off of all the cocaine, all this saliva. He washes off mammon because what he just did is it's no longer serving the purpose of mammon. Now this is serving the purpose of my kingdom. And he cleanses it. He washes it. And what he says is he will rebuke the devourer away from it. What that means is mammon is devouring every single thing you earn. That's why it's never enough. That's why it never brings fulfillment. That's why it never really satisfies. It's just devouring and devouring and devouring. Why? Because his spirit, it's like a corrosive spirit. But once you redeem it through giving God what is his, now it becomes a utensil and a tool and a weapon of God that's been cleansed for his purposes, washed basically in his blood and in his spirit to produce what he wants it to do. So the difference is if I give God his tithe, now he's saying, I can trust him with all that, is, that I have. Now it's God's money, it's not mammon's money. And I promise you, mammon will never get it out of God's hands. Ever, ever, ever. So I'm trusting, when I give God his 10%, God says, okay, now I can hold on and protect the rest of the 90. And your 90 will go farther than your 100 if it's protected by God. The problem is, here's the problem. We, we love this scripture. I've heard it quoted a million times. Oh, he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake and he'll pour down blessing you can't contain and da-da-da-da. What that means to me is almost like the old door of the explorer thing. Door is walking through town and if you don't have kids, you just check out for the next three minutes. Door of the explorer is walking through town. She teaches Spanish, teaches geography. Our kids used to watch it all the time. It would drive me crazy. Door is walking through. They're quoting back Spanish. And all of a sudden, Swiper, this little raccoon with a ski mask, would show up. Which, now that I'm an adult and you see cartoons, cartoons are really creepy when you think about it. Like there's a raccoon with a ski mask robbing this little girl walking by herself to school. Like it's not the best case scenario. He's walking and the kids start yelling, swiper, swiper, swiper. And Dora's talking back to the kids like it's real life. She's on TV and she's talking to the kids. That's creepy. And she's like, what? And then the kids are yelling, swiper, swiper. And she's like, what? They're like, swiper, swiper. She's like, oh, swiper, where is he? And the kids are pointing at the TV. I'm like, this is weird. And she's like, what? And she's, repeat after me, swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. Swiper, no swiping. And the third time, swiper's like, oh, man. And he leaves. Like, our, my kids just got brainwashed by a Spanish cartoon with an armed robbery taking place. It's the same thing. Whenever the enemy, the devourer, Satan, shows up to start taking your stuff, it's almost like God says, whoa, whoa, whoa that's my stuff now. Not today, Satan. Instead of saying swipe or no swipe, he said, not today, Satan. That's been redeemed. That is mine. It's almost like the mayhem commercials. He protects you from mayhem. But what happens is, and I deal with this too much, this scripture says, God will rebuke the devourer from your blessings and your finances. But there's a lot of people that tithe and they're still being devoured. The problem is they're not de being devoured by the, the enemies, by Satan. God's done his job. They're devouring their own finances. God will not rebuke you from devouring what you have. He'll rebuke the de devourer from it. And what that means is God will bless it and protect it. But if you're living off credit cards at 27% interest, you're spending money backwards. Do you know what that means? This is what debt is. I've, I've told my kids this. This is what debt is. Debt is when you buy money from other people. 
Dad, can I borrow 20 bucks? I'll give you 20 bucks if you give me 30. No, that's stupid. That's what a credit card is. A credit card says, I'm gonna borrow $100 from the credit card company, but I'll pay back $124 to the credit card company. So God may be protecting what he's given you, but you're spending money backwards and drilling holes in your own bucket by living outside of your means. We know as a country, no matter how much money you make, most people spend 10% more than they actually make. That means you're devouring the blessings of God, but then you try to blame God for devouring your blessings. The point is this, God will take care of his side, you have to take care of your side. The other part of that is tithing is a reward for all those who pass the test of tithing. So it's tithing is a test to check the loyalty of the kingdom. Then it's a solution for those who are part of the other kingdom to break that stronghold. Then it's a reward for those who are loyal to the kingdom because what God just said is, I can trust them. They've proven they're faithful. They've been faithful in a little. They can be faithful in much. And I learned this. When I first got saved, it was common sense for me just to give God whatever he wanted. Like I, I lived my whole life like it was God's stuff. And what happened was we didn't make much. I got out of the Air Force. I was making $6 an hour at a temporary agency. And I literally started just tithing off that. Toy was tithing off that. I didn't have much. And this guy, or I think it was her cousin, was at the house. He was running his mouth. Oh, you church boy. Now, I went from like thugged out, stupid, not doing anything right, to trying to do everything right, serving Jesus. And this dude's talking trash. I'm thinking, if this was about three weeks earlier, I'd break you off right now is what I was thinking. He's like, why would you be giving money to that church? Then I said, dude, here's, here's what I know. When God saved me, God saved all of me. All of me. He saved my mind, my heart, my spirit, my finances, my family. He saved all of me. And all I know is giving that 10% to him, I've never given anything to anybody in my life. All I know is since I've started doing that, everything's better. Like I'm happier, I'm more joyful, our marriage is better, my life is better. And Zacchaeus did the same thing, he met Jesus. He said, I'm gonna give everything back to everyone I've ever stolen for or hurt before. He said, you don't have to do all that, just, just take care of this small portion so I can trust you with more. And the principle is this, when you take care of God's house, he'll take care of your house. If God can trust you with a little bit, he can trust you with more. And so the reward is, God can't bless you till he can trust you. Listen. He cannot bless you till he can trust you. Because if he blesses you before he trusts you, you'll use his blessings to build your own kingdom. If he blesses you before he can trust you or before you're ready, it'll actually take you farther away from him rather than closer to him. And all God wants is for you to be close to him. And tithing is nothing more than a, than a way to draw us into his heart even deeper. And there's so many of us, we think that we want to skip the test. We want to skip the solution. We just want to go to tithing is a reward. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not anti-prosperity. I believe God wants to bless all his children. But if you're serving God for a blessing, you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. If you're giving to God to get something, you're not giving to God, you're giving to yourself. You give to God because it's his to begin with. You give to God because you're aligning your heart with his kingdom. And when he can trust you with that, he'll give you more. So God wants to bless us. And that blessing, supernatural power working for you. And it's not just financial. 2 Corinthians 6 says, don't give sparingly. Give, give whatever you can. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion. He says, give as a cheerful giver. He says, and when you do, he'll make all grace abound towards you. You see, 
It's not about money. God is saying, if you get your heart right, he can make everything else move your direction. I'd rather have grace than money. I don't have a grace in my marriage. I don't have a grace in my kids. I don't have a grace in this church. I don't have a grace in my relationships. I don't have a grace in my body, my mind, my health. It's not about money. It's about lining myself, making sure I'm in the right posture in God's kingdom, knowing I'm submitted to him and his kingdom. We believe this so much. Our church tithes. Like our church really takes 10% of whatever comes in and we send it back out as a tithe into the Dream Center, into Haiti. Why? Because God wants to bless us as individuals so he can bless the world through us. He wants to bless the world through us. And in doing so, this scripture says this, he says, so that all the world will call you blessed and they'll delight in the house of the Lord. Meaning once we get this lined up and I get my heart right with God and we as a people, God wants to use us to be a blessing to those outside of this house. So I'm not, I'm not a church growth guy, but I, I believe God wants to grow bigger churches so we can make bigger impacts. Because there's no lot. I can give $100 to somebody and it, it can do good. But if we all gave $100 together and then we used it, we can make a huge impact. The goal is for God's kingdom to advance and to move forward, not for it to stop with me. And that's where it really gets down to the heart level. God wants to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and he uses us. God owns everything, but he has nothing unless we give it back to him. God doesn't have hands except for our hands. God doesn't have a feet except for our feet. God doesn't have a mouth except for our mouths, and he uses us, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. So people could say their God is a good God. That kingdom's a kingdom I want to be a part of. That kingdom is a kingdom that's advancing. That kingdom is different than the kingdom I'm in. Because the kingdom I'm in, I've been chasing, I've been pursuing, I've been spending, I've been investing, I've been working, and I'm more tired now than I've ever been. I'm more wore out, I'm less satisfied, I'm less content. But those people there look happy. Those people there look joyful. And they're joyful and they're giving money to that dream center. They just spent a million and a half dollars they're spending money in Haiti. They're giving stuff away all over the place. But yet they're so much more happy than me. And I'm just sitting there trying to gather, 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 gather. Because see, this is the lie of the enemy. This is the lie of mammon. You'll never find fulfillment in an accumulation of stuff. You'll only find it through generosity. That, that, that's the base. And God knows that. He's trying to train us to be generous people, not just financially, but with our voice, with our heart, with our lives, with our love. And in doing so, it brings glory to God. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. I'm going to pray two different things and then we're going to receive an offering as a response to this. But here's the first question. Some of you are in this room, you're part of the wrong kingdom. Like literally, you've been trying to build your own kingdom by chasing your own dreams, by pursuing your own way, by doing your own thing. Like you're trying to build your own kingdom and you've realized it's very difficult. You may be able to build what looks like a kingdom on the outside, but once you build your own kingdom, it's very hard to keep the light bill on. It's very hard to maintain your own kingdom because there's no help. You've gotten tired, you've gotten weary, you've gotten frustrated. And you've actually made yourself an enemy of God. You've actually been robbing God to become an enemy of him. You say, how have I done that? Any kingdom that's not God's kingdom is an enemy kingdom. Here's the beauty of it. 
God invites all the rebel kings and all the rebel kingdoms, all the enemy kings and all the enemy kingdoms, he invites them into his kingdom. He says, you can come into my kingdom. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll love you. I'll, uh, he'll, he'll provide security. He'll do everything. He says, here's the, only, here's the only thing. You have to burn down your kingdom first. We call that repentance, meaning you have to tear down your kingdom so well, you won't go back to it. You've got to die to yourself so you won't try to go back to it. And then you can come into my kingdom and I'll treat you like a son. We call that salvation. And for some of you in that, this room, today's the day for that. You're tired of building your own kingdom and God is inviting you into his and all it takes is repenting, returning your heart back to God, letting your kingdom fall and walking into God's kingdom. So that's you. So you know what God is talking about by saying yes to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart and talking to you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. All I'm going to do is say, if that's you, I, I'm not going to have you come forward, I'm not going to have you stand up. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Put your hands down after you raise them. And I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But if you just raise your hand, here's what I ask for you to do. As soon as worship is over, I ask that you go out to the info center or come down front to one of the altar workers. Let them know, hey, I, just, I raised my hand. I said this prayer. They want to put a gift in your hand to help you on your journey, but also get your information so we can love on you and pray for you on your journey. Second thing. There's a lot of you in this room. There's some of you that are under the spirit of mammon so much. You've been angry this entire service. You felt like this was a waste of your Sunday morning. And for you, here's what I want to tell you. That when mammon blinds you, mammon divides you. Mammon will divide your heart and your mind against people that love you enough to tell you the truth and care for you. If you don't believe me, that's why marriages end in divorce by finances. Because mammon blinds you to your gifts and your blessings and divides you from those who love you. That's why business partners who have been best friends for years, they're divided because mammon has, law, has gained influence in their life and blinded them to the truth and divided them from those who love them enough to share the truth with them. And so my prayer for you is this, that you realize that as long as you protect your money from God, you protect your life from the blessings of God. As long as you think you can separate your money from your heart, you'll never be fully committed to Jesus and you'll never walk with him in unity. And my prayer is that you'll allow for God to break that stronghold in your life. There's some of you in this room, you've, you've never given to God, but you say, you know what, I want, I want to give to God, I want to make my heart right, but I, I, do I need to repay my tithes? The answer is no. Mercy and grace and forgiveness reign in God's life. Just get your heart right and please God and honor God with not just your lips, but with your life, with your finances, with everything else. There's some of you in this room that you've been given faithfully to God. You've been giving him his tithe, but you've hit a hard spot financially. And my encouragement to you would be this. Your heart may be in the right place, but your mind may be in the wrong place. You're giving to God because you love God and he's protecting you from the devourer, but you've been devouring your own resources faster than God can bless you. And I would take this as an opportunity to reevaluate your finances and to ask for help. Finances are complicated, they are difficult, but there's people that have the gift of budgeting, the gift of saving, and they can help you navigate with your mind what you want to do in your heart. And lastly, there's some of you that have been faithful to God. And I just want to tell you that God says thank you 
for keeping your heart in the right place. Thank you for keeping food in his house for every salvation, every person that gets delivered, every person that finds freedom, every kid that goes through Chapel Haiti, every kid that goes to the Dream Center Academy, every person that gets fed to the Dream Center is all because of your faithfulness. And God says, thank you. Thank you for loving my kingdom as much as me. Father, we thank you. And we bless you in this moment. We thank you that your kingdom is unshaken by the world. That, Father, when the world economy falls, your economy will still be standing. That, Father, when our government gets in disarray, your government is still moving forward. That, Father, you're a king that is seated because your work is finished. And so, Father, we just want to right now tell you we, we are sorry. We repent of ever failing and, and stumbling through the test of ties. But, Father, we ask that you cleanse our hearts. You align our hearts with your kingdom and with your purposes. And, that, Father, you allow for us to take the test and pass the test but also to bring a solution to break the spirit and the curse of mammon over our families, over our finances, over our issues. And if Father, you allow for there to be a reward for passing the test. And so Father, I pray for blessings to increase in every single life in this place, every family, every business owner, every worker, every employer. Father, you allow for them to increase financially so they can be a blessing to the world around them. And so Father, as we give this morning, I just pray that you open up our eyes, open up our hearts, that Father, we're not putting money in a bucket. We're returning to you that which is yours. And so Father, open up our eyes to the spiritual realm and bless us not just financial, but with spiritual blessings of grace upon grace and truth upon truth. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. As, here's how we're going to end. I just pray for offering. We're going to receive the offering. We skipped it earlier, so this could be a response for you. And here's the deal. I don't want you to just throw money in the bucket. I want you to think about this as you're giving God, which is what is already his. You're returning to God what it says, and you're aligning your heart and your mind and your family and your house with his kingdom first and foremost. And as you do, you're praying, God, I'm aligning my life and our house and our finances with your kingdom. I ask that you take care of my house as I take care of your house. And as soon as the buckets are passed, we're going to go back into one more song of worship. I just want you to stand up after the buckets pass and worship God. This is what it's telling you. My giving is part of my worship. There's a physical act, there's a verbal act, there's a heart act. I'm tying all three together to worship my king, my provider for what he's done for me in Jesus' name.